Like I don't, I'm in, in doing what I'm doing, you know, doing 200 mile races. It's not for me to say, Oh, you, you should do one too. You can do one too. Yes, you can do one too, but I'm not saying you have to, mm-hmm. but what you do need to do is you do need to do hard things and you do need to push yourself. Welcome to the zero quit podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you'll hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Pierce Show. He is an ultra-endurance athlete competing in both ultra-marathons and Ironmans. He's a Leadville 100 finisher, the youngest athlete to complete Ironman Arizona, and right now, he's comparing for a little bit of craziness the triple crown of 200-mile races, including Tahoe 200, Bigfoot 200, and the old Moab 240. He's a man of faith, full of energy, and uh, we're already hitting it off pretty well, so I'm excited to talk to you, man. Man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited to uh, just get to share uh, some of the experiences I've been through. And man, thank you for putting this together. Like, I'm super excited and blessed to be on the show. And, you know, I know you through a a great mutual friend of ours, Jeremy Miller. (laughs) And if you're a friend of Jeremy's, you're you're a friend of mine. A friend of mine. I like um, that. Loving what I'm seeing online from you, but can't wait to to get to know you better man yeah absolutely well it's it's easy like i said when when you have a little bit of the mutual friend and jeremy's a guy i hope he described me this way and i think you know i can already feel the energy from you just like authenticity and i feel like just genuine people genuine dudes like mm-hmm. i don't care about your instagram following i don't care about mm-hmm. like a- any of that's even accolades aside i want to speak to people on like the podcast that you know it sounds a little cliche but like i'm genuinely curious about and excited to talk to and uh, I think when I go to plan podcasts and find guests with that approach in mind, they end up mm. not only more fruitful conversations for me, but also more engaging and valuable for an audience as well, you know? No, 100%. I think that that's the name of the game in, in podcasts. And I think that's part of why I love them so much is you can really like you can know when someone's being like real with you. Yeah. You know, well, you there's can so know many podcasts that are open. just like Q and a almost, you know, where it's like, I'm just having this person on just because, or just because it's, they got a big following and it's like stiff, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. So let's have a real conversation today. <laughs> well, the first thing I got to ask dude is what's the deal with the mullet? What's the story behind it? <laughs> so, um, I always, all my life, dude, I had, uh, just regular hair, right? And uh, it's funny you asked this real quick, I'll say, because no one's really <laughs> asked me this on the podcast yet because the mullet is kind of a new thing. So, um, no, I, I was telling you, I started working for this guy named Steve Weatherford, who yeah. uh amazing man of faith, just a, a role model and, and mentor to me in so many ways. Um, and it's funny because, you know, you you whether you, you want to or not, you, you become like people you hang around yeah and hope so hopefully you're hanging out around the right people right Mm -hmm. um and this is kind of a funny example of that but so clear is that um i i started working for steve and i actually moved in with him the first six months Uh, i moved to texas and um steve's got a crazy style you've seen him on on instagram brock and uh, he's got all the neon and he's one of one as you'd say oh yeah yeah short shorts and and all of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he has uh, like a, a mullet or whatever you call it, bleach blonde. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think he may have said something to me or maybe I just picked up on it. And I was like, maybe I'll give the mullet a shot. And dude, it's so nuts. I went from like no one saying anything about my hair to like I, I went back to Columbus, Ohio for one weekend for the Ohio State Michigan game, yeah. catching up with some friends and just went around uh, the campus. I probably had twenty people in one day be like, "Dude, I love your mullet!" <laughs> like this, that, this, that, and, and not saying I do things just for the intention, but I love like it. It's kind of it elicits a response. It's it's and an it's, attention. It's grabber. memorable. Yeah, it's memorable. Yeah. I was telling my wife I saw it because uh, one of her coworkers has it, and uh, mm-hmm. you know it's it's two th- it's one of two things. Either people have it 
kind of ironically, you know, and like a little bit of like a humorous way. Or they uh-huh. have it because they're kind of trying to bring it back or they're feeling themselves. I feel like you have it like a, a mix of the two. Possibly. I do both. Yeah. I'm doing both. I'm bringing yeah. it back in. Yeah. Well, so. And part of it's like a thing of just, you know, what the hell? You know, like, and the idea that it's it's something that's going to, like, bring attention to you and you're going to probably get some, like, negative looks or whatever for it. But you're coming into, like, your own and you're like, uh, it's like a full a race of yeah of social pressure or ego it's i think of it like like a year or two ago like just i'd never had a buzz cut in my life and i just like buzzed it all and it was like i call it like my britney spears moment because i was like don't care what anybody says it like at all you know what i mean yeah here that's exactly what it is because i cared so much and and you'll learn this i cared so much through my you know, years growing up, and I'm I'm still very much growing up and, and learning. I'm a lifelong learner, um, but I cared so much about what other people thought about me. Yeah, and it was it was debilitating so much, and um, I went through a really tough uh, season after you know when COVID happened, and I decided mm-hmm. not to go back to college, and the the whole life that my family had planned out for me, and people had told me I think that they that I should do. You know, getting into a great college, going to the University of Southern California, studying to be an accountant, like all the things lined mm-hmm. up. And I went through a real tough time um, because I dealt with caring what other people think, because by making that move, I was basically going against what everyone thought I should do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went through a phase, man, I, I wanted to just grow and improve myself but also i was battling that insecurity and and what are they saying about me what are they thinking about me i actually buzzed my hair during that phase um because i i went through goggins book again and i heard him Dude, you you and me uh, both so, so both of us got into ultras about the same time both of us dropped out of college at the same time and both really our hair so COVID? There you go. covid yeah was it covid for- wow and you're only a year, year were a year you? behind me so I was a, it was like mid sophomore year, I believe. Cause you're 22 okay. or I'm 23. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. More, more. We're just going to find out <laughs> that we got more and more connected together. Maybe I, maybe that's what I'm missing. I'm missing the mullet. That's what I got. <laughs> I got to grow. But, but, uh, but, but one thing that I, I think too about the mullet, it's, 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 I no longer care as much what other people think. I mean, granted, yeah. sure. There are probably still things in the back of my head that I don't realize I'm worrying about what other people think and that I need to work on. But for the most part, I've overcome that. And a big reason of that is my faith. Um, Mm -hmm. But two, um, if I can be someone or, or if I can have a haircut that elicits a response or, you know, is like, who's that runner guy that, um, you know, has that bullet? Yeah, and then I can catch people's attention to then have a deeper conversation, have a more impactful um, time talking to them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm all for that. I want that. Yeah, it's a calling card. It's kind of like uh, just to reference something real recent is uh, I'm sure you've been following Cocodona and what well, it's your coach Mike McKnight, right? He's got those big glasses, and those glasses are very distinct. You see those, and you're like, I know exactly yeah. who that is. So, but not to ramble too yeah. long on that. I want to dig into, I think yeah. a good like launching point would be, you know, how you got into running. It sounds like it was around the pandemic time, but w- yeah. what were those first initial kind of steps or months and goals look like? And what was that initial why? Yeah, here, here's what it was. So, um, growing up, it was a little bit before the pandemic, um, growing up in high school, I went to a high school, I played lacrosse, um, lacrosse was huge in our, our hometown, I was pretty good, but I wasn't the best on the team. But mm-hmm. one thing that we did every practice during uh, tryouts, this it was like this full week called Hell Week because yeah. we had to run a 5K before we did like an hour and a half of conditioning work. And as a freshman in high school, man, you're that's the worst thing that you've ever seen. You know, mm-hmm. 3.1 miles, and then we have to practice. Yeah, it was... It was terrible in our minds, but um, so I, I quickly realized through this this 5K that everyone hated, um, I could actually run it 
at a decent pace. And, you know, freshman year going through it, I wasn't the first, but I could hang up around where the seniors were running. And I was like, oh man, wow, I I can't hang with them in different areas, but I can hang with them on the 5K. And so, you know, going through freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, I quickly became known as the guy who uh, could run the 5K the fastest. Mm. And and by sophomore year, I had started running it the fastest and faster than anyone else on the team. And whether that was because, you know, they were, weren't trying as hard because it was right before tryouts mm. or I was the fastest, who cares? But what it did was it started to give me confidence. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not the best at um, lacrosse. I'm decent, but if I work hard and I um, run hard, you know, I can be the best at this. Mm -hmm. And so it was at a moment in my life where, you know, it was like, I almost needed to feel that significance because tracing it back, um, you know, I love my dad and, and everything. We have a great relationship with, uh, now, but my parents got divorced when I was six. So there was kind of this void in me that I was looking for approval, that was looking for acceptance, that was looking for like a father's love. Yeah, I um, get that. And so, yeah, so this this um, notoriety or this like prestige because I was able to run the 5K the fastest mm-hmm. kind of gave me that. And so by the time senior year came around, that was 20... The fall of 2018, or the summer of 2018, I ran my mm-hmm. first half marathon, and then I ran my first marathon a couple months later. And the reason I did those was uh, my mom, this is like all about setting a good example. My mom has run a marathon every year for at least 30 years. Oh, wow. And so you, so did, were, uh, was it just her or did your dad have any kind of athletic background too? But it sounds like she said the um, he, standard. He did in high school, but he um, doesn't keep up too well with his fitness right now. Um, Call him out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so my mom does this uh, you know, marathon every year, but, yep. but she never like forced running on me. But mm-hmm. I saw her example and I was like, hey, if I could be good at the 5K, well, what if I try this, this half marathon? And mm-hmm. after the half marathon, I was like, man, that was hard. But 30 minutes later, I feel great. I got like all the endorphins going. And, yeah, you know, after a half marathon, I wasn't crazy sore or anything. And I was like, what else can I do? And so I really and I even posted you could probably look on my Instagram in 2018, probably August of 2018. I posted after I run that half marathon and I said something like I caught the bug. Mm. And boy, I never knew. I I didn't know what I was saying back then because <laughs> I've really caught the endurance bug and just gone up from there. Yeah, absolutely. So fast forward into uh, the time you drop out, you, you find this crazy man named David Goggins, which I think at, at this point everyone knows what his deal is. Uh, yeah. And, and this inspires you to, I, I purposefully didn't listen to Jeremy's podcast cause I know I'd have you on soon. So I'll let, I'll mm. kind of have a fresh perspective on this, but oh, I that's believe, good. I believe you ran some of your kind of like own homemade ultras, which I, I kind of did the same, but uh, to a much smaller extent, but uh, walk us through that and how you actually got from, okay, I'm running marathons. I'm having this kind of identity crisis and figuring out what I want to do with my life and mm-hmm. how that feeds into this interest in ultras and running your first official one with Leadville and so forth. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the summer actually going into college, I read Goggins book and I I did the audio book while I was on vacation in like three days. Like I listened to it while I was running. How'd you find his book? Cause I found him through uh, Joe's podcast, his first one with him. Yeah, probably some podcasts because okay. everyone would go on the podcast then promote the book at the yeah, end. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I probably heard him on a podcast. I'm like, who is this guy? Um, and and so, yeah, so I heard him. I was inspired. I um, end up going to college, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm at USC. This is actually where my endurance or my ultra endurance uh, starts because I'm inspired by this book. I'm thinking, I'm like, man, if, if Goggins can you know, run a hundred miles without training. 
I could probably run it with training. Mm-hmm. And so through that belief, I, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And I forget exactly what, what caused it, but that was part of it. And, um, I decided that during exam study days at USC, during one of those days, I would chart a 1.08 mile loop around campus and I'd run it every, (laughs) this was so weird. I don't know why I did this, maybe just for, you know, so I could rest, but I did the 1.08 mile loop every 15 minutes. And I figured if I just do it every 15 minutes for 12 hours, I can get over 50 miles and it was like 52 Mm -hmm. miles. And so I put together a flyer. I raised money for mental health because I, at that point I'd really start to realize, man, like people are stressing so much about these exams and Mm -hmm. it's not worth it. You know, mental, mental health is super, super important. Right. And so I, I did that and it was a cool experience. And, um, I just wanted to go further because I wanted to do the hundred. And so I gradually worked my way up there. So Fall of 2019, I did a 52 mile. Um, the spring, so May of 2020, so during COVID, mm-hmm. I did a 60 miler, and then the next fall, um, when I had actually left USC, November of 2020, I did my first 100 miler. So I, what I did for all of these, the 60 and the 100 were at my home in in Columbus, Ohio. And I charted a one one mile loop and just ran it a hundred times because I didn't know that there were these these ultra marathon races like that I could just sign up for everywhere. And I mm-hmm. think over the last couple of years they've gotten a lot bigger. They're definitely but, bigger, yeah. 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 But um but yeah, so I call it the Pierce Shao classic sixty miler and a, a hundred miler, all on concrete. So is it Shao and, and not show and I just imp- uh mispronounced it earlier? It's Shao. It doesn't matter. Oh man, you should you should have hit me earlier. <laughs> One uh, question I have I about I about those homemade races, the uh, Shao Classic, is how did you fuel for those? Because I'll, I'll give a little preamble about my uh, homemade fifty k. So, like we were talking before we started the podcast, there was this little uh, state park in Virginia that I was doing it at. Not a ton of elevation, but I was like, oh, if I do this, it basically is like an 18 mile. If I go nine miles out and back, I'll do that like twice. So I can get close to like the 33 miles for 50 K. And so I was like, all right, I'll do that. And I, I underestimated two things. One, it was a heat index of like 109 that day. So it was like a really bad timing. And then two, the bigger problem is I had like no fueling like for it so Mm. i had a i had a bladder with me that was whatever and i i kind of refilled that but i barely used electrolytes i had like some gels with me but like nothing more so i was probably intaking between like 50 and 100 calories an hour and uh, it was a complete shit show to to make it uh simple (laughs) (laughs) well that that's funny but um yeah, I mean, for, for my races, since they're a one-mile loop, I always had, like, a table with, like, a bunch of stuff on it. Okay, so and you I, I'd throughout. sit down. Yeah, yeah, so I'd snack throughout. And um, I had a couple friends stop by at the one at USC, and then my family was around during the one mm-hmm. uh, ones I had in, in Ohio. And uh, I, I didn't know a crazy amount about fueling, but I had done a half Ironman before. Okay. And I realized like, okay, I got to put stuff in my body and, <laughs> yeah. and people around me were like shoving food down my, my throat, basically like, hey, here, you need to eat this. Like, mm-hmm. let's go. We need to eat more. And so that helped, um, definitely didn't know much at all about electrolytes, um, and, and stuff like that. But I've, I've grown to, to learn more and more, um, yeah. about that. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a process that you go through um, and it's it's like trying to figure it out at first, but I think mm-hmm. it's really simple once you you kind of get it and and also it's it's an experimentation game. Yeah, um, yeah you, with you like live and what you learn. Best for you. Yeah, and yeah, you find like, out through experience, right? Like you just said. Yeah, and I know you commented on my uh, my coyote 50 <laughs> mile. Yeah. I, I was eating meat sticks and, and, and guacamole Spain throughout it. Guac, yeah. <laughs> who, who thought you could do that? But, um, yeah, it, so yeah, sorry. That's a side tangent, but yeah, no, you're good. So, uh, 
I guess a good way because I want to get to the the triple crown and the idea behind that. But before we mm. get to that, you know, what was that experience heading into Leadville? Because uh, as we were talking about, you live in Texas. Um, before that, you lived in Ohio, so you're not overly mm-hmm. familiar with high elevation, high altitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a ton of trails close by to kind of simulate a lot of that. And yeah. although you've kind of done these makeshift ultras, I'm sure you probably didn't have a vest. You probably weren't, again, attacking mm-hmm. it the same kind of formalized way I'm sure you did with Leadville. So heading into Leadville, what was that training like? Did you hire a coach? What you know? How'd that whole experience go? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I hired a coach for the Keys 100 I did in May of last year. It mm-hmm. was... Uh, 100 miles from Key Largo to Key West is super hot. Um, but I, I had to coach through that. So I did have some experience having a coach. Mm-hmm. But then for, for whatever reason, I didn't have one for Leadville. Um, I thought like, oh, yeah, I can handle this. But I always like to have a coach now. Um, but yeah, I mean, through through that process training, and I think this is a great thing to listen for the listeners because a lot of people prevent them from doing things uh because they're like they overthink it and i overthink things to some extent in different areas but like running is just i guess a thing that i don't overthink too much Mm. um or worry about too much i mean there's definitely that sense of like oh shoot what's the elevation gonna be like um and a lot of times that stops people from starting right they're like because i don't know how or oh i could never do that or i don't have a coach or i don't live near yeah mountains i can't do a trail race and that stops them from actually even attempting in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think just through the, the process of doing a bunch of these races and then realizing like, mm-hmm. I I can do them as long as I just don't stop. That gave me the confidence going into Leadville. Cause I had already done a half Ironman, 50 miles, 60 miles, 200 miles. And so I'm like building and that's what running has done for me. And, and I'm sure you can relate with this mm-hmm. and it's great for the listeners to hear is running helps you build your self-confidence, build your belief yeah. in yourself because as you stay consistent to a training plan, as you stay consistent to, um, you know, the way you eat, like you build this reputation with yourself. That's just so powerful and mm-hmm. uh, a confidence in yourself to be able to push through hard things. So I had this going into Leadville and I was like, I just had this belief that I could do it. And people would be like, what are you going to do about the elevation? How long are you going to get out there in advance to be able to acclimate Mm -hmm. like all these different things? But I was like, I just had this kind of delusional belief that like, I'll figure it out. And I did train on some trails as best I could. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really acclimate too well, but I figured, you know, I'd been skiing growing up and I never really got um, elevation sickness. I know running 100 miles through elevation is a lot different than skiing through it, but, um, you know, that that's that. Mm-hmm. But I think it just comes down to, like, not anything specific in terms of training um, or how, like, adaptation um, that I did at, at low elevation, Um but more so just this belief in this reputation with myself that yeah. I had built to build me the confidence. And yeah, I did research. Yeah. I, I asked questions to the coach that I had before of like, how many calories do you recommend per hour? Like how many, um, how, how much water, how much, um, electrolytes, different things like that. And I, I followed guys like Nick bear who had done Leadville before, but at the same time, I experimented with myself and mm-hmm. I figured out through doing other th- races and other um, long runs what what worked well for me. Yeah. Well, what, what, because you brought it up, I want to skip ahead to a, a question I had written down that I wanted to bring up. And um, I don't know if you're big into philosophy, if you ever heard of this concept before, but uh, mm. connecting with your, your idea of faith and how important that is to you. And I, I'm sure yeah. you can speak on how it connects to this idea of self-belief because you know listening to you describe you know like okay heading into Leadville I've done some hundreds but this is you know it's a step up but 
it all came down to it sounds like in the back of your mind you're like you know all these obstacles these things that make it harder at at bottom i have this self-belief that's just un unbreakable right and i know like i mentioned faith is very important to you and so it really reminds me of especially when you said delusional this concept of faith that Soren Kierkegaard, he's a Danish philosopher, wrote about in his book Fear and Trembling. And essentially the idea of faith for him, it's very theological, um, but it's also a little bit secular as well, can apply that way. And his idea of faith and this uh, night of faith, basically, is how he describes it in the book, is having this almost delusional belief and this delusional commitment to a certain mission or value or purpose that even if it's even if it's not achievable, even if it's actually um, not possible or extremely unlikely, or you fail, you still have this unshakable, undeniable mm. commitment to it. He references, for example, an example of a woman that you love, but you could never be with. Yet you still hold true to that love to her. You're still fully committed to her, regardless of if you'll ever, you know be her husband and so forth mm. you ever have her and uh i i think of it in this way where people might think faith is it think of it theologically but also separate from that people think if you have faith in something uh you don't have any reasons right or evidence right you're just being a little possibly delusional or you know do you have any reason to believe you're going to finish leadville right but sometimes it takes that uh heightened level of conviction and of belief and this higher sense of faith and purpose that allows you to transcend what's possible and actually attain something that that is perceptively impossible. You make the impossible yeah. possible through this intense feeling of faith. So I just threw a lot at you, but I don't know if you if, if anything jumped out to you or you want to expand on that that idea of faith, how you perceive it, how it ties into a lot of maybe the dark spots you go through during these races. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of this story in the Bible. I'm I'm Christian, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, in Jesus, and uh, it reminds me um, of a story in the Bible where it's Paul, and he's writing to Paul's like one of the goats in the, the Christian faith, and he, he's writing to I think it's the Corinthians, mm -hmm. um, and uh, or maybe Philippians. I think it's Philippians, um, and uh, he's like in this prison cell. Mm -hmm. And he's he's really just down to his last, like, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. he's really just been through it. He's been trying to do, you know, as best he can with what he's got. But he's being persecuted and, and all of these different things. And uh, it's Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm -hmm. And it it's really what he's saying is, like, even down to my last like breath or what, what, what not. Mm -hmm. Like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ gives me my strength in those dark, those just down for nothing, you know, moments. And that really stuck with me. And that's why I, I'm calling my races mission 413 mm -hmm. because it's like, even in those dark, dark moments, I serve in mm -hmm. like an unlimited God. Yeah. And so I believe that when I'm down to like my, I, I'm just exhausted. I've put everything out there. Like God will carry me forward. Mm -hmm. And I really have to get to the end of myself for God to show up in a big, big way. Yeah. Like, and I, I've just seen, and I think we talked about, or you said something about this. Um, and the concept of faith and is it just like delusional belief and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, I think faith can be seen as delusional to the, the outside world. Yeah. Uh, but also there's so many things that happened in my life where I just can't deny it. Yeah. Well, like, it's, I just can't, the, I you, can't you, deny uh... it. I don't know if you're into philosophy, but it's very theological at the same time. You might really enjoy that book because he references it. I'd, I'd pull it out and reference a quote if I could pull it up quick enough. But it's this idea, too, that he, he says that the, you know, the night of faith isn't capable of being understood by other people because it's like his own kind of absolute uh, autonomous commitment to this faith. And, um, mm. and actually, the, the biblical reference he puts in the book is the story of Isaac. 
mm. and uh and abraham so um you know the idea of on the surface level him sacrificing isaac is delusional it's crazy yeah but he has this he oh, has that's this, such a good story yeah he has this commitment committed belief that ascends you know if you get too deep into it basically how kierkegaard describes is like three stages of life there's like the purpose of aesthetic which is be you know pleasure i'm doing things for me what can i get what can i gain uh -huh. then there's the ethical where you would look at things as far as uh, the community, you're doing something for, you know, your neighborhood, your family for, you know, you consider other people and other things, uh, your government, your laws, you, you kind of live according to that ethical uh, realm. Mm. And then there's the transcendent um, or, or faith kind of level of, of life where you have this commitment to this higher purpose, this higher faith and so forth mm. and, and a higher value. It could be anything. So like I said, even for those of you that, that may not be um, religious, you can still have this secular understanding of faith where you do have this commitment to an utmost purpose value and yeah. so forth in your life that does carry you, as you mentioned in that way, in those darker moments, you're like, well, as deep in the shit as I am on this ultra, yeah. it's all for this X cause, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so much bigger than me. And, yeah. and those reasons why carry you much further than, um, you know, you could yourself, mm -hmm. right? I probably wouldn't be doing, I mean, I love running ultras, but I probably wouldn't be doing it trying to do, you know, three 200 milers over the span of, it was supposed to be four months, now it's three months. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't be trying to do that if I was just like, trying to do it for myself like yeah like those those ultras take a lot out of you you know i i'm sure you've experienced and, and jeremy's experiences mm -hmm. too after marathons is like all the mm -hmm. high of the you know race and and all of that and then you uh you get your adrenals then just come down and then you just go back to you know your everyday life and i yeah. love my everyday life but after you just complete a big race your everyday life doesn't feel as great as that nearly. So yeah. all that to say, I, I wouldn't, you know, do do it if it was um, just about me. And I think that's that's super important to have um, when you're doing anything, because mm -hmm. I will go a lot further for a greater cause, like for my faith, mm -hmm. than anything else. And and for those of you who listen, who who aren't, you know, don't believe in and God, or don't believe in, you know, um, the, this stuff. It's like, don't, don't just cut me out because I'm, I'm talking about God. Mm -hmm. Like, think about this, this, and just be open to it. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's just so powerful. Yeah. And I think it's important to stay open to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You do need, especially for things like this or, you know, in daily life too, like you need some reason for the suffering, even if it's a, uh, delusional or a fictional reason or whatever it is um you, you you do need to tie something to it um so that you can come out the other side i think this is a good way to weave in the 200s so mm. one have you ever ran a 200 mile race before and two you know what what is your what is your broad you talked to kind of about the why so maybe you don't need to reiterate that but you know, what is your strategy going into these 200s as far as, you know, trying to recover with them? What is your mindset going into them? How are you approaching them with, with crew or a rough plan? So forth. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So, um, I've never run a 200 mile race. The farthest I've gone is, um, a hundred miles mm -hmm. and, uh, it's going to be a fun, new, exciting challenge. Yeah. And, uh, I, I always try, although I didn't have a coach for Leadville, um, one of the things that I love to do, and I think it's super important and I do my best to do is I want to find the person who's done it and I want to either model replicate or, um, have them guide me mm -hmm. into doing what I, what the thing is they did that I want to do. And so I looked up who's got the best times, um, for the triple crown and I found this guy, Mike McKnight. And so basically I hired him as my coach. He's you know, doing all my training, we talk every two weeks. So I just get to absorb all of the knowledge that he has. And I, I think it's just such, it's the fastest way by far to mm -hmm. be able to accelerate in, in anything is figuring out first where you want to be, mm -hmm. finding someone who's there and doing whatever you can to learn as much from them as possible. Yeah. Listen to and who's in this done case, it, right? Yeah. 
in this case, I was able to hire him and it made sense. And so um, he's coaching me and, and helping me a ton. And so um, I've learned so much through him. Um, I'm still very much like, you know, figuring out what the plan is for the 200s. The first one's in July, which is probably, it's about two, two and a half months away. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely, I'd be lying if I said I had my plan. I'm, (laughs) I'm figuring out my crew and my, um, who's going to be there and and all of that. Um, but it's kind of like that jump out of the plane and and put on the parachute on the the way down. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I'm, I'm doing it and, uh, or, or that's how I'm doing it, mm-hmm. and it, I'm figuring it all out along the uh, along the way, and I think it's that's the best thing to do rather than stay in you know thinking mode. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. Well, one cool thing that you're doing that I think you just did pretty recently since working with Mike is switching to a keto, a low carb uh, diet. So, can you speak on a little bit of like what what was your previous diet habits and behaviors and what is this initial change felt like what has this transition period been like for your body and and so forth yeah for sure um so regular before this i had done several different kinds of things i Mm -hmm. in college i tried to be a pescatarian for a little while after watching like the game changers documentary that made me think meat was bad for me um but I've evolved since then and, and decided to, you know, add back meat. And I, um, I eat pretty clean for the most part, try and stick to, to whole foods and, um, limit the, the processed stuff. But mm-hmm. what I found in analyzing the best of the best in what I was trying to do is there are three big people in, um, ultra endurance races that I found that are some of the best. And that was my, Mike, my coach, um, Zach Bitter, and then yep. uh, this guy. There was one other guy, Jeff Browning. They're all mm-hmm. like, they're all low carb athletes, and so that doesn't mean that they don't have any carbs, but they're low carb. And the reason they do it is, or one of the biggest benefits of doing low carb is the fast recovery times. And when you have to run a two hundred mile race, and then three and a half weeks later. You have to do another recovery is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And so doing this sort of diet has helped like Mike, I am pretty sure for him, he did the triple crown just on a regular diet and he didn't run between any of the races. And then like the next time he did it, he ran like three days after his first race mm. because he was just feeling so good because his body was able to recover a lot faster. Is it purely, and, so, um, and not, I don't know if you can fully speak to this, but is it purely the idea of the excess kind of protein amplifying a little bit of like protein th- synthesis and recovery, or is it kind of by the body burning primarily fat storage or storages, it isn't, it doesn't need as much time to kind of rebuild glycogen stores? I don't know if there's like a clear mechanism why. Yeah, I I don't necessarily know too much of the science. Yeah, but I've that's seen fine. I've seen it all three of those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all three of those guys rave about the recovery um, aspects of it and how well they feel just a couple of days after the the mm-hmm. race. Um, and also, what it does too is you because your body's so efficient at burning fat. Um, you don't need to take in like typically I take, um, you know, 300, 350 or so calories per hour when I'm running mm-hmm. ultras. And I think I'll only need, I got by in the 50 taking like 150, um, mm-hmm. calories per hour. And then probably the two hundreds I'll, I'll do two, 200 or so. I imagine cause they um, digest calories. a little bit slower and they're not just immediately hitting the bloodstream that you get like a slower trickle of, uh, energy. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah, more sustained, and it basically makes you bonk-proof. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's pretty crazy. I, I've run so many miles fasted. And granted, you know, carbs are super important when you want to, you know, reach the top-end speed um, mm-hmm. uh, that you have. But for most of these 100-mile, 200-mile races, you're not, like, going on your top-end speed. You're running <laughs> zoom, no. zoom, uh, zone 2 the whole time. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, like, you just came off a recent race. I, w- I did want to get that experience tying into this idea of the diet. Uh, so, you, as you mentioned earlier, you're eating beef sticks and, and spoons full of guacamole. Um, what, yeah, I guess just, like, recap a little bit of that. Like, what what were you eating during the race? And, you know, I think you mentioned in the past you were just sticking to probably gels like most people. Um, yeah. And how did Endurance you feel fuels. different to previous races energy-wise? Yeah, so um, that won't be the exact fueling strategy I'll go with like for these 200 milers. The reason yeah. I did that was because the first four weeks of switching to a low-carb diet as um, Mike like coaches people to is like a keto reset diet. And yeah, what that phases, does right? is... Yeah, it's like three phases. And so the first phase is like 30 to 50 grams of carbs uh, a day. And so I, I couldn't, and, and you like restrict as much mm-hmm. as you can. So, um, so that said, I went into the race. I, I wasn't planning on racing it. Um, I just wanted to do it cause I found a great trail an hour and a half away, 50 miler. Um, it would be a great training run for the two hundreds and it had great elevation. And so I went into it and he's like, yeah, man, I, if you you can do it but just it, it's probably not you know one of those that you want to race because you're going to do it on uh keto basically mm-hmm. and so the way it worked is about every hour um hour 15 i had a beef stick that was about like 130 calories and then uh, a couple times when i came around because it was a one mile loop i'd get some uh, guacamole and uh which was really good i love guac i just grab a spoonful or two mm-hmm. and then uh before the race i uh had the breakfast of champions with three pieces of bacon so um yeah it was a it was an interesting time it reminds me of i don't know if you've seen this guy because i don't think too many of his reels have gone very viral but there's this one guy that runs um and every reel he's like talking about a new like fake energy source so he'll be like running and be like my favorite source for you know ultra runs is a bottle of ranch and it'll just be like a giant thing of ranch or i think he did one with like straight like cake icing he just does like ridiculous different things and he he'll be like act like he's sponsored by them and this is his fuel source and he's just like eating mayonnaise out of a jar whatever it is but it makes me think Um, of that eating like the spoonfuls of guac yeah you'll have to you'll have to send me that after this but yeah it, it was super interesting because, you know, I didn't really feel any dips in energy like that much. I mean, I, I felt fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I normally do. And I, I think I messaged you this. It, it was honestly pretty nice um, not mm-hmm. to switch up. end up. Yeah, because, I mean, during Leadville, it was 20, 25 hours. I, for the most part of that, was eating an awesome sauce gel every 40 minutes which is like applesauce Mm -hmm. and then i was drinking g1m which is an endurance fuel and it basically is like a sugar so like just drinking sugar all day and and eating gels um thankfully my stomach could could take it but man you get so tired of that like Mm -hmm. so tired of the sweetness and stuff um but in the future because that was just part of the first four weeks of the the switchover in the future i will be having carbs and what mike does during his races which i'll do is he'll still have like carbs and he even told me he's like i actually typically have what most people do like i'll do the the gels so i'll still use Mm -hmm. the same gels that i had before but i won't need as many yeah and um so yeah so that's kind of the plan going forward that makes sense last question i have about like the racing specifically is yeah. I'm just like curious because I think everyone kind of pulls motivation or goes to different places in yeah. different places. But where do you go and like, you know, your dark, hard moments where your your legs killing you, whatever it is beating you up? Uh, do you go towards more, you know, positive side of things, more of your faith? Or do you kind of lean on mm. some some maybe negative emotions or experiences of the past of maybe a chip on your shoulder type mindset? Um, where, where do yeah. you kind of typically go or what, what has carried you out of some of these uh, holes that you get dug into? Yeah, I think I, I just use what I've got mm-hmm. in that moment sometimes. Okay. Like for, for Ultraman Arizona, um, I really didn't get deep and dark until 
like day three, but mm-hmm. but the first two days because it's a three day race. It's a 6.2 mile swim day one, and then you hop on your bike for 90 miles. Then you do 171 on the bike the second day, and then it's a double marathon on the third day. Um, but I was just like enjoying the days. I was joyful. I was happy. I was, you know, uh, just living it up, honestly, the first mm-hmm. two two days and just getting after it because I was thinking, I'm just like, man, what a privilege to be able to be out here, to be able to take a week away to, to do this and, um, do something that I dreamed of a couple years ago. Like the people I grew up with, basically all of them are in, in college classes right now. And I get to be riding through Arizona. Like how amazing yeah, so, is so, that? so from a place of appreciating the present moment and a sense of gratitude, it sounds like. Yeah. In, in that yeah. moment. And especially too, because I couldn't, you couldn't use any earbuds all mm-hmm. race long. So you're just there with your thoughts. And so, um, and when you have a positive state, it's like the time goes by faster. It just, it just works better to have a positive state in those instances. Mm -hmm. Um, but late in the race on the run, this will give you an example of, you know, what motivates me late in the race on the run. I had realized I had started to catch up to the guy in third place and, for me, I hadn't seen anyone all day long since like mile uh, four. So I, I hadn't seen anyone in probably six hours or so. Mm-hmm. And guy, like there was an out and back. So guys coming back said, hey, man, you're you're only a little bit uh, behind this guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I, I would love to, you know, pass him and finish before him. But that late in the race my mind's tired. I'm beat down. I'm sure mm-hmm. you can relate to this and anyone can, if you've, you know, done something hard, oh, yeah. um, is like, you're late in the race. You're just like, you just want to get be to the finish. Done. Yeah. Let me just exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, and for me, I vividly remember in that moment, I was like, I just want to get to the finish, but I also don't want anyone to pass me. Something about people passing me. I, oh, just I hate, hate it too. And I'm, I'm really yeah. slow. So a lot of people pass me, but I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more motivated to not get passed than I am to pass people. Mm-hmm. So I realized that in that moment, but then my crew comes and I'm probably, you know, nine miles left and I'm just like, count down the miles. I'm ready to go. Um, and my crew goes, Hey Pierce, you're, about a half a mile behind this guy. He's he's running slow. Um if you pick it up, you know, you can catch him though. And they said, "Do you want to pass him?" And in my head, I remember this. I'm like, in, and it was like a moment where like the time slows down. Yeah. And I'm like in my head I'm like, "No, I don't want to pass them." can't you see how tired I am? Mm-hmm. I'm running a while mile, then I'm walking for a minute or two minutes and I just am dead. Like, can't you guys see this? This is what I'm thinking in my head. But before I, I could get that out, I told them, yes, I want to catch him. And I don't know what it was in me. It just, it just came out. And so dude, my friend, um, got out of the car and he started running with me and we start chasing this guy down. We couldn't even see him. Cause mm-hmm. I, I, he was just that far ahead of us. And then, uh, and then we chase him down we chase him down, dude, this guy's pulling everything out of me, like pull, just pulling it, motivating mm-hmm. me, inspiring me, encouraging me. And it's always interesting. Cause I don't know how you feel about this Brock, but towards the end of a race, you get like, I get like a little bit mean, like I, I get annoyed. I get yeah. like, if someone's trying to motivate me and their motivation is not good and not working for me, I'm like, screw you. I'm a, I'm a prick. I, yeah, I'm a prick. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this guy was really motivating me real well. And so we just go, and we go, and we finally catch this guy and he's walking and someone's handing him a water bottle and I go, slow down, slow down. So, so we, we slow down and we basically walk behind him for a little bit until we get closer and closer. And then we, I say, go. And, and we just blow past this guy. Because one of the most important things when you pass someone is 
you got to make sure that they don't think they can catch you back. Yeah. Because if this guy tried to chase me down, who knows what would have happened. But we blow by him, we just keep going, and then we get you know a mile ahead of him, and then we slow down. But that's just a clear story of, like, I just, I used what I had. Like, I just wanted to finish, and I, I knew in that moment I got to keep going because um, someone, I don't want anyone to pass me, and I'll, I'll play games with myself. I'll say, Pierce, you can't look back. And mm. I'll just imagine someone running right behind me. That's what I did during the, the uh, Coyote Trail. I, I didn't see someone at, in, like from mile eight on, but I, would, I wouldn't let myself look back. And I um, just imagined someone behind me. And that kept me moving and, and stuff yeah. like that. But um, I always just try and use what I've got, and it can be different. I got, I got a similar story, although I was nowhere near a top 10 or anything like that. But uh, when I ran my 50-miler, I was going through absolute hell, as you said. And um, it was funny because uh, there, I, I, I was getting close to this cutoff at this aid station. I finished well before like the, uh, the final cutoff, but this aid station cutoff, I was a little bit close to it. And um, I was worried I was going to miss it. And uh, so mm. I was, I was 6,000 or so feet in uh, elevation gain, 34 miles. And uh, I was coming out a of lot. a good spot. But then I got to this area where I had another maybe 1,000 feet, 1,500 feet of climbing to do over like a two, three-mile stretch. And my legs were killing me. Uh, I had just been through like a hailstorm that was in that race. Uh, my lower back was on fire. And I'm just like looking up and every time I think I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be done with the elevation. I look up and I just see like, I can't even see the top. Like there's just so much more trail and vert to go. And I'm just shaking uh-huh. my head and just feeling it. Later on, I'm getting close to the actual top and um, I start to see somebody else come up. Some people had passed me and I, and I kind of see somebody coming up and I'm like, oh, there's another guy struggling too. There's another, and I'm like, all right, cool. So then I asked the guy and I turned to him I'm like, oh, like, you know, you struggling to something like that. And uh, then I quickly realized, oh, no, he's not running the race. He's picking up the flags like they're oh. kind of like. So I feel like there's like a grim reaper behind me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I'm talking to him. He's like motivate me. And I'm like, yeah, Man, I, I think I'm going to miss the cutoff. I should probably just like stop now if i'm already going to miss it anyway. And he's like, no, no, we're close. We're close. He keeps kind of lying to me about how close we are. Uh-huh. But then uh, we start going downhill. I fall on my ass because the whole course was muddy. It was a whole whole event. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm pissed off. I'm kind of like just cursing under my breath and uh, being meaner to him than I should. Luckily, I made it up after the end of the race. I talked to him. But yeah. uh, I get to like, we're like mile 36. So I, I look down the hill and I thought the aid station was packed up. And at this mm-hmm. at the angle I'm at on this like switchback that comes down the mountain, I look down, I can't see the aid station, but I see my wife and my dog just sitting there waiting mm. for me. And I, I thought that the aid station was gone and that they were just mm. waiting for me. And I cried harder than I feel like I ever have in my mm. life. And I sprint down the mountain as mm. fast as I can. I get all this energy, no matter how, how bad my quads hurt. I sprint down the mountain and uh, I see the aid station's still there. And uh, there's this quick moment where you know, my wife says, oh, like, you're good to go if, like, you still want to. And, and the guy at the aid station goes, uh, you know, do you, do you, yeah, you're like, I'm not going to, like, stop you. Like, you know, keep going. You're only, like, eight miles away. And kind of like you, I had this moment where I could have, like, stopped or kept going. And mm. I didn't even think about it. I immediately mm. was like, oh, I'm finished. Like, I felt like I had a second mm. chance. Like, I thought yeah. in my mind, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to drop. I, I, I'm a failure. I screwed up mm. and I had this second chance, the second life where I was like, Oh no, I can, yeah. I can still finish this race. Like it can be for something. And yeah. uh, I chug this bottle of Coke and I get this huge surge of energy for a while because of the cold air, or the hailstorm, whatever. My throat had gotten a little bit swollen. My mm-hmm. legs were sore. Like I mentioned, but I had this random surge of energy. My lungs opened up, throat opened up, legs got energy. And I trudged hard as I could mm. through the rest of that race and um again wasn't nowhere near middle of the pack or top but still is this idea of like well, in a race you get you get this like second third fourth wind and it's an emotional yeah. switch you know that that creates physical switch yeah and that's that's one thing good to hit on is like 
through an endurance race, especially because they're so long. I mean, mm-hmm. marathon, half marathon, 5K. Like, you go through these ups and downs. Yeah. Like, I don't feel great during a whole 100 miler. There are times where I feel amazing. There are times where I feel like not not wanting to be there. Yeah. Like, There's a I, lot of I cycles up that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And through through a lot of races, I'll like get get to some. I'll like be really empowered to keep doing races and stuff. But but after the keys, when I did it in 2022 last year, it was hot. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. I started like I I got some sort of overheating thing going on and and cramps at mile 30, and so I had to walk a bit and. I was like, man, this is not how I envisioned this race to go. <laughs> yeah. But I kept going, and then me and my cousin just picked it up, and we started uh, passing people, and it was so fun. But, but, but I think I, I'm glad that you shared that story. Um, you know, doing that race and doing that 50 milers because that's a, a huge thing that I want to leave people with um, whenever I talk to them and and just share with them is it doesn't matter if you're number one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're number 51 or 101 or back of the, the pack. Like that's the coolest thing about ultra endurance and, and just endurance and, and mm-hmm. fitness in general is you don't have to be a certain place or compare a certain, uh, to a per- certain person because it's really you against you. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it, it's, and that's the cool thing about the community. It's just, it's so supportive because everyone knows, like, man, I'm I'm challenging myself to the the best I can, and you know, other people are too. And you know, this this community rallies behind each other. Yeah. Like I had, I didn't have any crew for this 50 miler because I was just like, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll take a little bit longer. I'll you know just fill up my waters and and stuff like that myself. But you know, the people at the aid station were helping me out. And, and we got down to a system by the end of the race because it was an eight mile loop, like a bunch of different times. And, uh, and they were jumping in to help me and it, it mm-hmm. was so fun and it was so supportive, but, um, it, that's just so cool about it. And that's yeah. why, you know, through my races, it's like, I had this guy, I had David Goggins and, and other people like him do these races to show me a picture of what's possible and that anyone could do it and and the power of the the personal growth behind pushing yourself and doing hard things and i just want to be that for other people like i don't i'm in in doing what i'm doing you know doing 200 mile races it's not for me to say oh you you should do one too you can do one too yes you can do one too but i'm not saying you have to Mm -hmm. but what you do need to do is you do need to do hard things and you do need to push yourself. And if you um, haven't run a 5K, run a 5K because everyone's heart's different and you pushing yourself past where you've gone before, it's going to unlock something in your brain and unlock something in your life um, to be able to just do more and, and think bigger. Yeah, 100%. And specifically... I think the ultra endurance space more than road racing has this perspective of, you know, we don't, we don't look at finish times as often. Like, yeah, people care about who wins and so forth, but I think there's this underlying respect that anyone who steps up to that start line, uh, you know, is taking on, taking on a big challenge and they're, and they're really fighting through it. Anyone who crosses that finish line went through hell to get there. So it is this kind of universal respect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I go into some of these, like I want to win, but at mm-hmm. the same time, it's like throughout the whole race, I'm like, good job, man. Keep going. Like, and, and what people I think don't realize sometimes is like when you are encouraging others, you actually get to benefit from that energy too. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. It comes back to you from different people, but it also just makes you feel better. So that's a really cool aspect of it too. Absolutely. Well, I really, really enjoyed this conversation, man. And I like getting to know you more and I'm sure we'll cross paths uh, much more often connecting with Jeremy and so forth. Uh, But I want to ask, where can people find you? 
Yeah. Um, people can find me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Pierce Shaw, and I'm sure you'll link it. It's P I E R C E S H O W E. Um, but really, right now, I'm I'm just working to to accomplish these two hundreds and and also um, do my best at documenting that to be able to help more people uh, achieve their endurance goals and and all of that. So, thank you so much for for having me on, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you everyone for listening and uh yeah man it's been a it's been a blast absolutely well thank you again and i uh, appreciate you guys listening if you got anything out of it please share the show follow pierce uh like we just mentioned and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one